Hello and welcome to the That's So Craven Fulham podcast. We are now streaming live on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Twitch. Come join me and my dad and my brother and the wonderful community that we have built. Discuss the team that we love and all the wonderful things that are a part of it. We appreciate you all endlessly for following us on this fantastic journey that we are so blessed to be a part of. But let's not waste any more time. Jack, you play that intro and come on. You are from desire, mind and senses purified, free from desire, mind and senses purified, free from desire, mind and senses purified, free from desire. Hello and welcome to the That's So Craven podcast, your film podcast from Down Under. We're here today to discuss the scrappy Saints relegation party as Fulham put Southampton to the sword and sent them down to the championship. A lot of Portsmouth fans on Twitter yesterday having the best day of their year so far and really getting on board with the uh, with the Fulham win. So a really good performance and here to discuss it all we have. Elton, how are we going, Dad? I'm very well, thank you very much. Nice to be here. Uh, good to be back, all three uh, in, in, in the circle. Spoilers. And also <laughs> joining us, as Elton says, Sam, how are we going? What's happening, you bustling bad bad bunnies? I'm good, I'm good, I'm here, it's late. Let's party, Southampton, go. Well, Sam, I reckon if we stretch this one out for an hour and a half, it's almost your birthday, I think, is that right? Oh my god, yes, yes, I yeah, am... I am enter. I could be entering my thirties on a live stream, which is what I've always dreamed of. Um, uh, <laughs> I was going to uh, yeah. say, I bet you on your twentieth birthday, you didn't think that that would be happening. Sitting down talking about Fulham as you turned thirty, <laughs> I'm pretty sure you on your eighteenth. I remember taking you to the casino and putting you in the two up ring. Oh, I remember the two up ring. I loved the two up ring. No, yeah, that was great. <laughs> that was great. That was a real because, like, that was like because you know when you go to like a casino, everything is very like cards based. Whereas that kind of was really barbaric, and I was like, oh yeah, I'm excited to enter adulthood, and then capitalism, and yeah, we're good. <laughs> from from memory, it was a very sad tuesday night at the casino i think and well, there wouldn't have been that many people there and uh we were in the two up, two up ring at about 2 30 in the morning still pushing you to keep drinking so um look we're not going to do that to you tonight so organize some shots to be taken at the end of the podcast but no, i do we'll push I, on i do i do have beer in my fridge so maybe maybe i can arrange that but i'm i'm low on things such as frangelico anyway fulham Yes, exactly. <laughs> let's uh, let's keep pushing on and actually talk about what we're here to talk about. Otherwise, we will be here to your birthday. Uh, a really good victory from Fulham. It was, let's be honest, a really scrappy game of football. Um, Southampton, for, for every time that people have said that Fulham have been on the beach so far uh, towards the end of this season, it really looks like Southampton are actually on the beach already. For a team that needed to win to avoid relegation, that was a lackluster performance. Dad, what were your thoughts? Were you expecting more from Southampton? Well, we talked about it and we were concerned that, once again, as we play teams who, who've got an awful lot to play for, beware. And, um, wow, it couldn't have been uh, more opposite. Um, it was so, what's the word, 
unenergetic, um, lackluster. It, it it it's just surprising how kind of uh, disinterested they were initially to um, to get involved in the game. Can I just say? I'm not 100% sure if I know what on the beach actually means because I thought it was like, we're sitting pretty, everything's good. I've actually kind of come to hate the phrase because I've I've heard it so much. And just then when you saying Southampton was uh, thinking I'm on the beach, that's just really underscored for me. I don't actually know what that phrase means. Jack, could you please explain that to me? And I was going to we... think. Did you think it was maybe geographical, seeing as Southampton is actually on the I th- coast? I thought it was. I thought it was like we're fine now. I'm going to have a margarita. Like I literally pictured. That's being exactly on the beach. it. it it's, no, but... it's basically it. It's we're we're currently safe, and therefore we can take our foot off the gas, not worry about it anymore, and not really care about results because. We're already thinking about our holiday at the end of the season, even though there's still games to be played. Okay, so it can be the same as like I've got my slippers on, I'm 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 combing my hair. Um, no, maybe that's because that's preemptive <laughs> of something, isn't it? Um, yeah, <laughs> it's I'm it's just... definitely not a good thing to be on the beach, and I have to say Southampton really looks like they were on the beach. Okay, I don't so know on the was, beach is there complacency. Was... That correct? Is just... Yeah. Okay, I've got it. All right. I, I don't know what it was, but they just sauntered around the pitch. You know, you had, um, for example, their their striker uh, Onuachu, I think his name was, who's six foot seven, super imposing, and I remember seeing him and looking at him, going, "Geez, he could be a proper handful if they start whipping the ball into the box." And I don't think he really got a touch in the first half. Mm. Um, I know in the second half they whipped a really good ball in, and he got up above. Tosin and I was thinking to myself, geez, if they were actually trying to score goals here, they'd be just putting crosses in from everywhere, getting this guy's head on the end of the ball and actually possibly making something happen and getting a bit of an upset. Just didn't happen. Um, And, you know, just a lack of pressing. You know, we're used to seeing teams coming at us really hard in those opening minutes. And I think it took Southampton maybe 20 minutes or so before they started pressing us, at which Mm. point they actually did start to cause us a few little issues because they pressed the defenders really well. But early on, geez, they were just letting us have the ball, sitting back. It didn't look like a team that are trying to avoid relegation. It looked like a team in our position who potentially don't have much to play for come towards the end of the season. That was um, that was that was like my like initial kind of take from especially like the first half, just how far back they were sitting, and it was just mm. everything from the back, and it was so boring to like initially watch. But it wasn't kind of like done in any kind of like strategic way. It was just kind of just passing around the back, just to kind of avoid Fulham gaining possession. That was all it was. It's really hard to know what on earth they were thinking about because, I mean. You know, if if a team te- technically Fulham is a better side, man for man, we're a better side, and we were able to keep the ball really well. So, what do you do other than stress a team out and really chase them down and press them hard? That's the only mm. way you can be competitive. And they they were not interested from the beginning, not at all. I- I do feel not, like there was a couple of players. Sure. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I do feel like there was a couple of players that actually had some engagement because, yeah, we've we've talked about this before. Like, like there's there's no team in like the Premier League that is completely shit players. That doesn't make sense. Um, but 
I can't remember who their number four was. He was the guy who kept the goal out. Um, uh, Williams' attempt, like he was really up for it for a solid amount of time. Um, Julian Alvarez. That's Lianco. Yeah. Lianco. Um, yeah. Julian yeah. Alvarez. Um, he he got something through. So there was some desire from the key players, but outside of that, just nothing. You mean Carlos Alcaraz? What? Alvarez plays Carlos- for Alcaraz. No, Julian <laughs> Alvarez was not there. He was not there. Yeah, it would have been a different story if he was there. Go on, Dad. What What was it that changed that suddenly made them start pressing other than a rocket from the sidelines? Um, and, and he was a pretty meek and mild and quiet manager as well. He didn't seem to be saying very much or geeing them up. But, but suddenly something changed, and they looked half decent. They actually looked half competitive. Or certainly caused us mm, yeah. a, a few little problems. I can only assume it was a bit of a rocket from the manager because there there was no flashpoint where all the players went, geez, we really need to get up for this. It just seemed like the manager maybe cracked the whip a bit and said, guys, I told you to press. And no one actually had been told to press in the first place. It was, it, it was just a really strange start. And, Dan, I'll, I'll ask you a question as well because we talked a lot about James Ward-Prowse in the preview for this game and saying he would be the key to any sort of result for Southampton. For me, he was a bit of a ghost for the majority of the game. I didn't really see him have any real impact on the game at all. Do you think he could have done more? And obviously with, with everything about his future up in the air, knowing that he's probably leaving the club that he's been with for, I think, 20 years... Do you think that was maybe weighing on his mind a little bit and he'd sort of given it in? Well, I'd put him in the same category as all the other players. He he wasn't one of those players that Sam mentioned and you guys were talking about who were standing out and actually working hard on and off the ball. Um, it, yeah, he he didn't feature. Um, didn't feature at all. And Dad would honestly, know because he's such a big fan. Apparently, that, apparently. Yeah, I took that from the last pod, just Jack dropping the Euro. <laughs> <That's sorry. laughs> James Ward-Prowse. Apparently. He's great. He's, um, Dad I, loves I, it. I like that for the Always canon. I like that it. for the canon, yeah. Always talks about <laughs> it. Loves a bit of Ward-Prowse. I, what, what I, honestly, if, if he's £100,000 a week, right, and he's not going to be staying at Southampton, which we don't know. He may end up staying at Southampton. Maybe they can't offload him if they're asking too much money. But I think I think he probably has a lot, a lot of suitors. I, you know, if if you want to if you want to get another job at a hundred thousand pounds a week and more and cost cost a new club, let's call it forty thousand pounds on a transfer fee. I actually want a better attitude than that. I actually want someone who's going to be a real leader in midfield, and come what may, regardless of the circumstance, someone who's going to work really hard. For example, Harrison Reed, and yeah. he's if if if, the, if we're comparing him to a Harrison Reed with with great passing and great dead ball uh, skills, hey Harrison Reed, championship, good game, bad game, shit game, you know he he's I'd rather have him seriously. I mean, and not to harp on about Ward Prowse too much here, but. I think if you put Ward-Prowse into our midfield and sat him alongside Polina, it'd be a very different story. And it's probably the same for a lot of these players. Like um, 
Lavia, the, the number 45 for Southampton yesterday, is a young kid, uh, and, you know, he looks like a bit of a star. He was probably Southampton's best player, which isn't saying a huge amount after yesterday, but um, if you put him into a really good team, I, I think he would be a, a really impressive player, and he'd shine through even more. And, you know, it's it's hard to get your attitude right sometimes if you're playing in a team where the players around you aren't, pulling their weight and aren't doing enough. But if you popped him alongside um, Polina with Willian outside him, with a bit of a rock behind him in, you know, Reem, Diop, Tosin, uh, it's, it makes a big difference. So I, I, I think it's it's actually down to your teammates as well. So it, it's not as simple as just saying he, his attitude wasn't there. Um, but, it, I mean, across the board, Southampton... And I put it to the manager, to the coaching staff, to the fans as well. The stadium looked half empty before the game had even started. Mm. I don't know if you noticed the number of empty seats, at least that we could see on the broadcast. And then every time they panned to Southampton fans, even when the game was nil-nil at halftime, Southampton got booed off at halftime. They just looked they looked like they'd already lost the game. And they were resigned to the fact they were going down, which is really strange because they were still in it. If they got a win against the Fulham team, who have been known to slip up against relegation battling teams, they possibly could have got a result here. And so it just it baffles me. And I think it's a, it says a lot about the culture at, at Southampton as well, that they, they basically threw the towel in. An interesting comment here from Steve Reynolds as well, and maybe um, that goes to show... The difference between the two teams culturally and in terms of the attitude as well. Um, Fulham actually have the oldest squad in the Premier League at the moment. We do need more youth in the team. And they did mention that Southampton yesterday had the youngest squad in the Premier League. So there's definitely some positives there for Southampton going forward because they have some youth, but they were definitely missing some leadership there. And I think they're going to need to bring in some really experienced players like Fulham have done in bringing Willian into the team in, you know, Issa Diop coming in as someone who's got a lot of Premier League experience, but Leno as well. I think, um, uh, look, Southampton are going to be in a bit of trouble, I think. I I struggle to see how they get out of the championship if they perform like that all season when they go down after almost certainly losing Lavia and Ward-Prowse in the off-season. I think they're really going to struggle. I well, do think, I, um, I made a comment. Sorry, I, I made a comment to you last night, Jack, when we were watching it, or maybe to both of you, that I actually thought halfway through the first half, I thought they looked like a struggling championship side. Seriously, well, you play I like mean, that, that in the champ, championship, yeah. you you will struggle. Well, I think I think teams that do get relegated though, like don't always just go straight back up sometimes they do struggle and yeah as you've seen teams that just go straight up you can usually do quite well i teams like brentford and this season with like fulham but i do i do think southampton because it's in southampton's nature to just kind of sell through all their players and i imagine they'll get a pretty decent amount of money for ward prowse and then they'll probably reimburse and i imagine probably next season they'll probably sell through a lot of that squad and then just try to rework again because that's just what Southampton does they just love selling players yeah I think you know and I pull up a comment here from Lewis FFC following on our YouTube stream I think the majority of their youth will be loaned out or bought and I probably agree with that I think they're going to have to try and keep some of those youth players to actually 
make up the backbone of the team next season. But they're going to have to sell quite a few of these players because there's a, there's a lot of Premier League standard players in there. They're just not clicking. And you put that in part down to the manager um, and in part down to the system they're playing as well. I mean, we've seen it with Fulham. You look at the team Scott Parker had in the Premier League. That is a seriously talented mm. Premier League team, and he mm. just couldn't make it work. And, and so it's it's not necessarily about the players you have at your disposal. It's actually how you utilise sure. them as well. Um, Jack, so, Jack, Jack, yeah, go question. on. Question for you, um, because I think this season's really, really interesting because we've seen a lot of like new, like former players kind of like enter management kind of like roles this season, in particularly in the Premier League. Obviously, they've come from Scottish League and all those other like places. But would you say that this is actually one of the poorest um, managerial seasons in Premier League history just by sheer number of sackings that have actually happened? And well, then, I think there was a stat at one point that said Marco 14. Silva was one of only six managers not to get sacked this season. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Arsenal, Man City, uh, us, Liverpool. It, it's basically, you know, teams all in the top six, seven um, who aren't changing their managers at the moment. And, you know, Chelsea obviously changed managers twice this year. Mm. Um, Aston Villa change managers, and it's it's worked for them. But you know, it's it is it was a poor group of managers at the start of the season. It, it has seemed to improve a lot now, and there's a few managers out there who have turned fortunes around. You look at what's been done at Villa by Emery. Look at um, Lampard. How not oh, Lampard, no. Lampard is one no, 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 one no, no, game no. out of his last forty or something no, no, ridiculous. No, no, no. Um, but you look at uh, O'Neill at Bournemouth after they. Finally got rid of Scott Parker and saw some mm. sense. Um, Roy, Roy Hodgson's back. I feel like he's done. I'm not. I'm not fully following um, Crystal Palace, but I think they're doing slightly better than they were. Under yeah, the they are. They're, they're safe now. And look, I think the sacking of Vieira was probably a little bit harsh in the first place. But um, and the other thing as well to consider is there's a lot of big clubs who are having bad seasons at the moment. You look at mm. West Ham, Everton, Leicester. These are teams who have been finishing high up the table recently, and Chelsea as well, and would expect more. So as soon as you get, you know, lower than mid table, you're probably on the chopping block as a manager anyway. So it, it does mean that there's going to be more turnover of managers this season than there has been in the past. But it does feel like a poor crop, and it's it's really disappointing actually from the media that I've seen so far that Marco Silva's not being talked about as a contender for manager of the season. If you consider most pundits put Fulham bottom or mm. in definitely in the bottom three and getting relegated, I don't think I saw any professional media personality put Fulham as actually surviving in the first place. And the fact that Marco Silva has turned us into a top half team very comfortably this season and with all the, all the issues we've had to face this season, losing, Mitro only really having him for half the season, having some major injuries through the season as well. The fact that Silva's not being talked about as a potential manager of the season candidate is baffling to me. He's done mm. such a fantastic job and it's just completely overlooked. And it, it feels oh. very full of fact that we just have, you know, these great performances and it never gets talked about. And we, we, we've seen it all the time when we come up against commentators who will always look at how the other team has performed poorly if Fulham are doing well. And if Fulham are doing poorly, they just 
dig the knife in and turn it straight away. Um, it's yeah, it's it's disappointing that he hasn't been talked about because I think he deserves to be talked about um, alongside the best managers this season. I, the fact that Gary O'Neill at Bournemouth is being talked about as one of the managers of the season and Fulham are so far ahead of Bournemouth is, yeah, it, it, it doesn't really make sense to me. Um, mm. Question coming in on our live stream from Colin Bolger. Um, I'll pose it to both of you. How many of those so-called injured players for Southampton just don't want to get hurt before the end of the season so they can get transferred out? And that's a good point as well. I think Che Adams missed the game yesterday through injury, even though he didn't go off in the last game injured. And there was nothing that particularly happened during the week that could have seen him um, miss out, but all of a sudden is injured. It's very possible that some of these guys are actually looking towards their next move. And you could see... I saw Ward Prowse talking post game uh, to the media, to the BBC, and he just looked like he was already thinking about his next move. Wasn't mm. really talking about next season. Was sort of you know out the door. And I think there'd be a lot of players at Southampton in the same boat. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's... I think it's, it's probably a very fair point. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about maybe not surprising. goals. Let's talk about the goals, guys, and, and let's look at Vinicius's first. Um, and look, it's it's a really well worked piece of uh, piece of attacking football. We really did struggle in the first half to make any real inroads. Uh, we were lacking on that on that final ball, even though the commentator told us that we were probably the worst team he's ever seen a thousand times, which was incredibly frustrating for any of us, anyone else who was watching along live. Um, but look, a good ball in behind, unfortunately slightly overhit. But Harrison Reed, Dad, how well does he do there to chase that ball down? Most players would just throw their arms in the air and let that one run out. Oh, I want to go back a couple of steps before that to you always do the light lightning transition. I like to tell the whole story, Jack. Lightning <laughs> transition. I think it's Tosin. Is it Tosin who passed the ball out of defence? Picked up by Ken, a little flick on. I can't remember who in midfield. But then Kenny plays the ball. That picks out Wilson. Really great ball. That, you know, typical classic Tom Kenny stuff. Picks out Wilson. And you're right. It, it was actually a little bit overhit. <laughs> he gave he gave um, Reed a lot to do. And absolute tenacity and guts for Reed to retrieve that and kind of make something of it um and yeah um pretty easy tap away uh for Vinny in the end i heard someone i think it was you jack mentioned that there was there was some conjecture as to whether you know a couple of months ago Vinny would have even scored that but i think that's probably a bit harsh uh, <laughs> i don't know man like i do you know what yeah the, look the i thought that really I... really good goal good goal the thing that I love, the thing I love about that goal is it's like the perfect combination of um, uh, like intense energizer bunny Tom Cruise style. I'm just gonna do everything that I can to get to this ball, and then just the nonchalance of Vinicius. It's like the perfect. It's because that's what he like. I, I say that with like love and respect as well because Vinicius, I think his greatest strength is just a weird amount of composure, which is like. It feels almost unwarranted because, yeah, he can turn up for like the big games just because he's just not phased by anything. And now he's actually at a point where he can kind of go into games like this completely unfazed. And he's just kind of 
like that's his skill. He just kind of like suavely come in, a bit like Sean Connery. He's just like, I'm here. Terrible impression. I do think one thing we have said about Vinicius previously is he's not in the right position often. Yeah. But I do think yesterday he did actually find himself in the right position there. Um, and look, it obviously, a lot of it comes down to the hard work by Harrison Reed there, but Vinicius still makes sure that he gets himself on the edge of the six-yard box towards the back post so that if if Harrison Reed did get to the ball, he is in the right position to finish that. And I, I know it's a tap-in at the end of the day, but he actually still puts in the work to get in a good position and you you have to be there to finish the ball. So I, I think you have to take your hats off to him as well again and just say, you know, well done for actually working hard and, and not giving up on a chance because that's what you want from your strikers. You want them to always be in the right position. And he has been multiple times in the last few weeks. We've seen him actually get his positioning right. And um, look, pre-game, there was a lot of conjecture as to if Vinny was going to start or if Mitchell would go straight back into the team. Um, I know I, I had a little bit of a standoff with Fulham Serbia, who were 100% yeah. certain that Mitro would have to come back in. Um, yeah, go away. And look, no, not at all. I, I was more than happy to have the conversation. I was just posing the question, and the biggest thing for me was um, I, I think Silva has proved so far that he backs people based on form and not just on who they are. We've seen it with Tosin and Diop switching positions. We've seen it with Willian being in good form and keeping Solomon out of the team. I think it's one that you guys need to pull it together. Come on. Guys. I love it. I love it. Like, this happened the last time we did this as well. Like You were a very, I'm very earnestly have to turn off our, to Turn off our live comments. The reason Sam and Elton are giggling away like a couple of school kids is Colin Bolger. Uh, great comment, though. Why does Sean Connery sound like the cook from the Muppets? <laughs> Sam, Sam's going to have to work on those impressions. But, yeah, oh. I, I fully back Silver in the fact that he is actually – putting his faith in players who are performing well. It's all about form, and that's how you get results is players playing in form. And it's actually going to be a really interesting decision for him now as to who starts in the next game. They both got on the score sheet. Mitro is clearly the better player, and he looked really sharp when he came on as well. Mm. But, um, Sam, for you, who starts in the next game? Great question. I also do want to um, circle back to what you said before, before um, Colm's excellent comments. Um, uh, you, you were talking about like it just being a tap band, but I would very much argue that if you look at somebody like Harlan's statistics, everything that he's done more or less this season has been inside the box and you can argue is like a tap in. Yeah, tap yeah, sure. are extremely crucial and um, you'd see it all too well in like those lower league sorry, those lower ranked teams like Southampton's, their strikers aren't tapping in anything. So um, I'm not, I, I don't, I don't want that to be besmirching Vinicius's name in any way. And I know that he didn't mean to um, or intend for that. Um, for me, it's a real hard one. I, I, as, as much as I love the narrative of Vinicius, and I do think he very much deserves the stars that he's got, I do think Mitrovic did look that ever so slight bit better from the second that he came on. And I do feel that he can do that for like 60 minutes. But that also is great for somebody like Vinicius because then they can come on. And it was really nice to actually see how happy they were to kind of like 
come on on and off for each other. That was actually a really nice thing because it would have been really easy to, for just Mitrovic to just stone face, just go go on, be like, yeah, this is my time now. But he was actually really happy with Vinicius, and I really liked that. Yeah, and they celebrated together post game as well. You could see that they obviously get on very well. That you know, strike partners in training, I'm sure. So they spent a lot of time together, and it was good to see that they both we're really happy for each other scoring goals and and obviously the whole squad is happy that Mitro's back as well so um that definitely uh it was a good thing to see i think and it's good showing that there's a good vibe in and around the club at the moment dad i'll pose a question to you from Colin Bolger here and and see if you agree marco may do the same again for palace with vinny starting and mitro coming off the bench but i can see a mitro start against man united your thoughts on that it's not bad shout yeah, I think I, I think that's a very solid. I think that's a, a a good money bet. Again, and it's about risk. I think it, it's the right culture. It's allowing Mitro to come back. We we don't know just how. However sharp he is, he may just not quite have the match fitness. Um, and and so if Vinny was really struggling, um, and not able to adjo- to do a job and he had no confidence in him, I think we'd be itching to force Mitro back on to start. But against Palace, would you be nervous about him starting? No. Uh, knowing that if you if you went a goal down, you could bring Mitro on at, you know, at half time and you'd be fine. 100% agree that Mitro is starting against Man United. 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, but who knows? Maybe, maybe Mitre. It's it's fifty fifty to me, but I I think Colm, I think you're right. I think it's not necessarily fifty fifty because um I think Mitrovic did um yeah as you said as you said before I think he did great when he came on and looked really good looked really sharp, but um. First and foremost, and I'm so glad Marco Silva did do this because obviously Mitrovic is the better player. I don't think Serbia Fulham is wrong, but Serbia Fulham is wrong with the fact that Mitrovic was a naughty boy and needs to regain trust. And two two um, on form performances when he comes on, um, uh, yeah, by by Manu, I think he will have built up that trust again. But I'm I, I really like Silva's decision to essentially go no 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 no. Yeah, I, I think we will see the same again. I don't think it's that. I don't. I don't agree with your your thought process there, Sam. But I do think the same again that um, we'll see Vinny get another start. We'll see Mitro get more minutes. Maybe he gets, you know, comes on at half time. Uh, especially if we're already leading, I wouldn't be surprised if he drags Mitro. Sorry, drags Vinny early to give Mitro even more minutes before the Man United game. But I think Man United, it's almost a hundred percent locked in for Mitro. I think he'd be gagging to Silver and sort of saying, I'm happy to sit on the bench for Palace. Don't even have to bring me on as long as I start against Man United. Mm. Um, yeah. So let's, let's talk about Mitro's goal very quickly as well. It was um, a return to championship days. We saw Harry Wilson again getting another assist, playing superbly at the moment, puts the ball in, and Mitro does so well to move his body in weird fishy ways and get his head on the end of the ball sending the keeper the wrong way had absolutely no chance in front of the traveling support who all had their serbian flags out every time he touched the ball yesterday there were massive cheers it just felt like 
that moment was bound to happen, Dad. Uh, look, he, he he's a high quality player, isn't he? He's a high. He's exactly what you want from your striker. He's he's a prize fighter, isn't he? And what what I thought was interesting about that goal, and when I looked at it again, I thought, why did he even drop down and head that? He could have actually put that in with his side of his foot. He could have sent the keeper the wrong way. It was only about knee height. Mm. Um, interesting choice. He it got does down happen really a lot, low. Though, with diving headers, players, it's it's a total misjudgment. And maybe you can put that down to a lack of match sharpness is the fact that, you know, he hasn't played for a while. He sees the ball coming in and goes, oh, yeah, that's a header. And the ball just keeps dropping and dropping and dropping. And so he's got to get down low and actually has to head the ball. And I, I saw someone on Twitter comment saying, when was the last time a Fulham player scored a diving header? You don't see diving headers much anymore. Uh, I'm going to say the last one that I remember was Brian McBride flying in at the back post for a diving header. But again, you don't see them very often. And I think it was, you know, definitely one of those ones where he, he's lacking a bit of match sharpness and so goes with his head rather than his foot. Hmm. Yeah. It's really good header. Yeah, he may be. Yeah. Yeah. Still a great header. <laughs> Still sent the keeper the wrong way. And he was he was very tickled when he scored that. He was so yeah. happy. So happy. Uh, I think it's a big weight off the shoulders when something like that happens. You know, he yeah. he's missed a huge chunk of the season through suspension. You wouldn't want to now go on a, a, a barren run and not score a goal for the rest of the season and then start next season off the back of that, not scoring a goal. Like, it will hang on your shoulders, that kind of thing. So to get that one just sort of out of the way early and a fairly simple finish, like the defender did pretty poorly there to he didn't really challenge him at all. Mitro had the run of the ball there, could have put it in with his foot, could have backheeled it in, really. He had that much time. Uh, look, I, I just think it's it's fortunate that we've actually been able to get him on the score sheet so soon after coming back from a suspension because I, I genuinely mm. think if he didn't score in that game and maybe didn't score against Crystal Palace, he could go the rest of the season without a goal and we could have had a bit of a confidence issue after that. Yeah. No, I agree with that. Um, yeah. <laughs> Glad to see everyone. <laughs> sorry. Dude, it sorry. is late tonight, isn't it, for everyone? Um, I thought I thought I thought I had something and then I didn't. <laughs> classic Sam. Uh let's move on. Have a quick look at the game stats. Um Fulham had sixty four percent possession, Southampton thirty six percent. Uh Fulham nine shots on goal, Southampton just five. Four shots on target for Fulham, two of them ended up in goals. Just the one shot on target for Southampton. Fulham completing 626 passes, almost double the number of passes of Southampton at 349. Uh, eight corners to one for Fulham, and Fulham conceded 12 fouls, Southampton 17. Um, one thing we haven't talked about that we should get onto uh, before we sort of close out that and look at the table and look at the top tweets from last night Uh the potential penalty appeal and the handball. Now, I tweeted almost immediately after this with a tweet from the office saying, explain this to me like I was a five-year-old because I genuinely don't understand how that wasn't given a penalty. I, I also do understand how it wasn't given, but 
at the same time, I'm just looking at it going, it's it smashed him in the hand. Why is that not given a penalty? The ball's going to be going out of play otherwise. Um, and yes, it, it might be a, a goal kick, but his hand genuinely affects the flight of the ball. Sam, I'll throw to you first on that one. What were your thoughts on if that should or shouldn't be a penalty? I'm not even sure if you want to throw to me because I'm almost at the point now with just shit referee decisions and VAR and all that to the point where I'm I'm just I've just stopped caring. Full conspiracy theory. Yeah, like I've just like when stuff like that happens and it just doesn't. It. I I I, I've I've just taught myself to meditate and not care. You know, because like it's, it's I, just ridiculous. I, this whole season's been ridiculous and just loaded with stuff like that. But you know. I I truly don't understand. I don't understand why that's not a <laughs> genuinely don't understand why that's not a not a penalty. I mean, so his hand is away from his body. Uh, it's got nothing to do with accidental. Um, Williams was accidental at Man United. Yeah, uh, there was no there was no, no intent. Um, sorry, that wasn't the Will Hans was definitely intentional. Um, he was getting his body across there, it's but that's a different story. Sorry, completely. I'm having what, trouble with the segment. The only, um, the only explanation I've heard that is half decent for the reason it wasn't given as handball is there's a slight glance, I think it's from Vinicius. And the ball does change trajectory at that point. So the ball is kind of headed for, I think it's Lianco who handballs it. I think it's mm. headed for Lianco's chest. He's maybe a metre away um, when Carlos Vinicius gets ahead to it and he deflects it onto Lianco's arm. So he really doesn't have much of an opportunity to get his arm out of the way. At that point, I would understand that it is completely accidental and there was nothing he could do to get his hand out of the way. But the problem for me is I've seen those given before this season. If if every single time that happened, a penalty wasn't given, I'd be totally fine with it. But again, it's just a lack of consistency when it comes to making decisions on handballs, especially handballs. And I feel like we have just copped the absolute worst rubber the green this season. Everything seems to be against to be going against us. I've not seen Fulham get any of those line line calls this year. If it's 50-50, it goes against us, it seems this time. Even if it's 60-40 in our favor, it seems to go against us. I'm I'm calling for chat GPT refs. Mm. And then and then and then VAR can be done by it should be called PAR. That's in for people. Like as just I I I feel that it's like it should be like almost like a foul has occurred and then a foghorn goes off because it's like triggered by something. It's like a tripwire. It like triggers the AI to be like, that's not right. And then if you want to contest it or whatever, then you can consult people and then all the bias can go. But uh, yeah, it's just, it's just getting silly. And it's like, we have, we like, we are, we are using, we're using technology now to help, um, create a fair and balanced game but we're not at the same time if, if, if everything that it just feels very counterintuitive now just stuff like this is just it just doesn't make sense to me uh, and i think that's the biggest thing it, it just doesn't make sense 
uh, and and we can try and make sense of it. But look, I, I'm I'm all for improving technology. The problem is they're not using technology at the moment. Mm. Um, they they I, I was surprised that the ref didn't go over to the screen and look at it. The screen is there for a reason. Referee um, corruption is was the <laughs> phrase used a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> by you. I don't want to go that far, but I'm I'm going to say it it was strange that the ref didn't go across and genuinely have a look at it because they were talking to him about that decision for a very, very long time. And mm. I don't know why they wouldn't just say, can you just go and check the screen? Because if you have a look, you might have a different opinion on it. And I feel like they're just not using technology like they should be because it's there for a reason and it just seems to get completely ignored. And I, I want people to be making decisions like this, but yeah. for some reason they just they just avoid doing it. And that's what that's what really gets me grumpy because I, I just want a bit of consistency and them to just go, right, if there's anything dodgy, I'd rather have a couple of minutes delay to the game if you make the right the, the actual right decision. Um, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hate referees as much if they didn't have so much weird hubris and like just like it almost feels like pride. And like I do understand like wanting to control the classroom and all that kind of stuff and trying to be stoic and like strong and these are my decisions. But it's just getting silly. It's silly, man. Yeah, it's an interesting comment from Jim here who was obviously at the game saying it felt at the match as if play went on for so long afterwards that time almost ran out. And I don't actually think that was the case. I genuinely think VAR were looking at it for such a long time. Uh, they just couldn't really make a definitive decision. And that's where I wanted to see them go, right, ref, stop the game, go and look at the screen and actually have a look and see what happened. And They're then just you not doing that, are they? They're not no. doing that. They're not doing it. And you're not turning down your mic. <laughs> you missed, missed us saying that exact thing for the last couple of minutes. Um, look, let's move on and have a quick look at the table. Fulham have climbed up the table now. We're currently recording at 9.12 p.m. here in Perth, and I'll have a quick look at the Premier League website because Brentford are currently playing against West Ham, and the score is nil-nil after 11 minutes. So... We are actually, no, we're now dropped down to 10th on goal difference. But based on uh, the result from tonight's game, it could see Fulham continue to sit in ninth place above Brentford. We do have a fairly good buffer now on Chelsea, who sit in 11th. The deal with Chelsea from here on out, Chelsea would need to win all of their games and Fulham pick up no further points from their next two games. Uh, If Chelsea drop any points, Fulham are guaranteed to finish above them this season, which I believe is the first time since the 60s when Chelsea were in the second division and Fulham were in the first division. So, look, it's it's a, a really good season for agree with that. Uh, and now it's just down to a bit of bragging rights to see if we can win SW6, the little mini league there. And, you know, there's a couple of million on the line to finish slightly higher up in the league, but uh, I'm really hoping that Fulham do pull out a good result against Crystal Palace pass that uh, points total, that record points total for us, take us to 54 points, and then who knows what happens when we get to Man United on the last day. Could be uh, a really good win against Man United, especially if it knocked them out of the Champions League and uh, had them swap places with Liverpool. I doubt Tottenham are going to reach it. But, um, yeah, so, look, guys, that rounds out the game itself. 
Let's have a look at some top tweets. Dad, if your connection is slightly better, I'll get you to read some of these out. The first one here from uh, Fulhamish's Sammy James. Well, let's have a go. Uh, Mitro scoring on his return in the sunshine and Carlos Vinicius getting his moment too. An absolutely perfect away day in almost perfect season. Yep. And look, uh, final away day for the season, but what a day it was for Fulham fans. We sold out the mm. allocation of three and a half thousand. Saw the return of Mitro. There were, sorry, it's not the last away day. We got Man United to come, but the last close away day, I guess, for Fulham fans who live in and around London. Um, but yeah, the, the number of Serbian flags that we saw waving in the away end was superb. And it was all that you could hear on the live stream as well when we were watching the game. Just heard Fulham fans singing all day long, which was just such a joy, um, especially yeah. every time it drowned out that stupid commentator who wouldn't shut up about Fulham being crap. Um, next one here from uh, Hugo Oliveira, who I believe is one of Fulham's coaching staff at HGO underscore official on Twitter. Step by step, enjoying the path, dot, dot, dot. Come on, you whites. And he's talking about most wins in a Premier League season of 15, which we've now surpassed or achieved. Right. This one, this one, because I, I, this, is, this is amazing. And all it just kind of makes me do is just think, if Newcastle didn't get bought out, if Man City didn't get bought out, and, like, just where would we be sitting like could this have actually been our highest position ever because yeah the the top half of the table is flooded with just teams that have essentially um come into good fortune over the past couple of seasons there's not like a i can't really call them like a grassroots team but yeah all those all those teams up the top of big money behind them and oh if yeah if, what could i think it also been? talks about it also talks about the fact that what I, I'm hearing here is the 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 sense of of a mission that's being executed by the whole team, mm. and that there's yeah. a really clear plan, and everyone's taking a a long term view, and they're strapped in for the ride, and they're loving it. Mm. And it seems like this team really loves breaking records as well. We yeah. saw it in the championship. We had Mitro breaking an individual record for most goals. They're really pushing hard as well for highest ever points totals and things like that. The one thing that I can see that we can improve on next season, and you look at Brentford, Brentford uh, only lost nine games this season. We've lost 15, and mm. we're currently level on points at them. They did a really good job of drawing games where they shouldn't be, where, where they're actually mm. just continuously picking up points. We only drew six games this year. We won 15, lost 15, drawn six. If you turn around five of those games and pick up an extra five points, we're all of a sudden sitting in eighth and potentially pushing. I mean, at that point, yeah, we, we literally level on points with Tottenham and Villa um, mm. and, and almost pushing for those European spots. So that's where next season we just need to be able to close out some of those games and maybe it's against those teams like Man City and Arsenal and Liverpool, Man United, where we expect to go in and lose those games, but we actually pick up a point and that's what pushes us forward. And then we, we beat the teams below us like we have done this year and keep getting those wins, but just consistently picking up the additional points. that It's what, what teams always aim for is to beat the teams below you 
get something out of the teams above you. And if we can continue to do that and, and work on that going into next season, I think we could see us finish even higher up the league. Uh, one here from Fulham FC, uh, official account on Twitter. Hmm. And this is this says, two in two for Metro with a small break in between. <laughs> Very That's true. And I'll um, throw to a... a Little quote here from Black, White and Fred following along on our YouTube. Uh, if Mitro hadn't missed a quarter of the season through injury and suspension, would have been much more than the 15 games won. I have to agree with that as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and look, that's actually mentioned on our next tweet here um, from uh, Nicholas Carey, at Carey Nicholas, who's sharing one from uh, Footy Accumulators on Twitter. Imagine how many he could have scored if he played every game. 12 goals in 12 appearances this season. 22. Alexander Mitrovic, oh, sorry, uh, in 22 appearances this uh, season. Alexander Mitrovic is having a pretty underrated campaign at Fulham. I'm yeah, so annoyed I mean, him. it's, yeah. I mean, it, look, there's there's plenty of upside here. <laughs> there's a lot of room for improvement. It's true, though. It is, it is kind of frustrating. Like, it, we had the possibility, especially when you look at a team like Brentford who've had their main striker available and he shouldn't have been available all season. Um, And we've just had our main striker unavailable and he's still put in a great shift for us. But, you know, like I said, you do the maths there based on his goal scoring ratio. Mitro is probably looking at close to 20 goals for this season, which is a really, really, that's an elite, uh, elite number of goals that you're looking at. I don't know what the current league scorers, uh, leading goal scorers table looks like. Um, Obviously, Haaland is miles out in front, but I think anyone who's scoring 20 goals a season has to be considered one of the best strikers in the league. Um, uh, Harry Kane's like, on 27. Ivan Tony's third on 20 goals this season. Like Mitro, if he'd played every game, I, I would have thought would be up around that sort of third, fourth, fifth spot this year. Yeah. A question. Question to you guys. How long can the FA actually drag on this whole Ivan Tony decision? How long? Oh, well, How long? we'll this find out some Brentford more about that. <laughs> yeah, we'll find out some more about that in the off season. I'm, I'm almost certain we're going to get some more answers fairly soon. Mm. Um, Is the off season I, I one that's got a bit of a whiff about it? Absolutely, it does. Um, but I, look, I don't want to focus too much on that because we talked it to death a while ago. Um, I, I think there'll it just be some annoys news me on when that. I think about this. Yeah, for sure. That is but you know what? He's, That's the difference. Isn't miss, it? That's the difference. He's going to probably miss a similar number of games that Mitro missed. I reckon. I can't mm. see him getting any less than six months off, even if he um, if he gets suspended. Let's say season ends. He gets suspended in June. He's probably suspended till Christmas. At which point, team, most teams have played somewhere between seventeen and twenty games. So you lose Tony for that amount of time, Brentford will struggle big time. Um, you know, Tony this season has played uh, 33 games out of 36 for Brentford, or 35 for Brentford. So he's literally only missed two games and he scored 20 goals. Mitro's played 22 games and scored 12 goals. Um, yeah, it's 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 obviously frustrating for us, but at the end of the day, you turn it into a positive again and look at it and go, it could have been so much worse for us 
but actually it could have also been so much better for us. Like we we've done so well considering the struggles we've had to go through this season. Um, a good one this, here this from is the best one. This is the best Lewis, one. Lewis, uh, Lewis S F F C on Twitter. He was following along on the YouTube before. I hope he still is because this is absolute gold. And unfortunately, this is going to lose a bit in translation uh, on the pod because visually this is very, very funny. And it's a <clears throat> my apology to Carlos Vinicius, and it's an apology form, um, <laughs> which he's actually spent quite a bit of time on because he's got his to and from uh, um, sending it to Carlos Vinicius. Anyway, it's got reasons for bad behavior here. Uh, with a bunch of t boxes ticked. A, I don't know football. B, Fulhamish told me he was bad. C, I was jealous of Carlos. Uh, D, which doesn't get ticked. I get my football info from Reddit. Um, four, five. It was sunny in London. Didn't watch the actual matches. And there's a last box text. I'm I'm sorry for my behaviour, and I hereby respect Carlos Vinicius. Uh, the apology needs to be loud, as loud as the disrespect. And hopefully, we've uh, published it for you and and shouted it out very loud, uh, Lewis. Yeah, we'll definitely reshare that on our Twitter for for everyone that's, who needs that's to very lodge funny. one of those forms. I think I think actually we've done a very good job as a podcast because I feel that there has been a lot of podcasts that have fully bagged him out, and we've always been very nice and respectful of Carlos Vinicius, apart from that one time that Dad was really going in on him. But Dad goes in on a couple of people, so that's oh, no. I'm um, I'm not sure about that. I I I'm happy to admit that we got it wrong here. I'm happy to admit that we said oh yeah a number of times that Vinicius wasn't good enough. And we gave him multiple chances and he didn't take it. But I'm happy to say he's proved us wrong recently. And I think based on his recent performances, I've seen enough quality from him for me to be happy to have him as a backup striker next season. I still think there's additional strengthening required, but I'm happy to just sit here and say I was completely wrong. Vinicius is a, is a good enough player in the Premier League as a backup striker and I'm happy to have him at the club. And he also seems like a top bloke as well. And he's mm. part of our Samba side. So I love the Brazilian flair. And I love having him around the club. And I love what he brings to the players around him as well. Must send a basket of muffins. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, definitely. Maybe Tivo will do it for you. Uh, on to the next one. One from our friend here at FFC underscore IBZ. Don't call him IBS just in case he wants to be called Ibs. But he's the shit. Oh, ah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Harrison Reed is a player that's got on leaps and bounds. What a player. He looks so much more comfortable in the final third with his decision-making and ball retention. So underrated. When is England call-up? Um, he's, he's now surpassed Southampton. Uh, yeah, he's now surpassed Southampton after being ditched by Ralph. Yeah, look, um, we have always uh, thought very, very highly of this guy, haven't we? We've, we've, we've been loud and proud about Harrison Reed, and um, I, I, I don't understand why England don't consider him. I, I, I really don't. I think it's just really hard because it's a combination of Southgate being liking a certain team, and there's just 
a particular amount of talent in that area. I mean, off the top of my head, Conor Gallagher, Jude Bellingham, um, uh, Declan Foden. Rice. Um, no, no, Foden plays on the wing. Um, uh, but yeah, um, yeah. Oh, what's his name? Phillips. Like, there's it's there's even people like Ward Prowse getting in that kind of like area. There's it, it is quite overflowed. So I can I can understand why he hasn't necessarily got picked yet. Also because like you know what it's like with managers, they just trust certain players. But I do think it is a massive shame. And yeah, it's it's a hard one. I kind of understand it, but I don't necessarily agree with it. He could he could he could definitely get in he could definitely get in the England team. But yeah, I think I think there would have to be a couple of um injuries to happen for that to be a thing. I don't know. I mean, he's he's a far superior better for me than uh, Kevin Phillips, Kelvin Phillips rather, who, Calvin, who seems Calvin to be Phillips. Calvin Phillips. Sorry, who seems to be constantly holding down a spot in that team. Mm. Um, and look, I look, I think this is where Silver gets it right and Southgate gets it wrong. Silver picks players on form and backs players who are in form. Southgate just completely ignores players like Harrison Reed, who before the World Cup was having the season of his life. He's a, an English centre midfielder in really good form, but instead he picked Calvin Phillips, who had been injured and hadn't played any football for Man City so far that season, mm. and took took him to the World Cup as backup when you could have had someone like Harrison Reed who offers the exact same thing. It, it just, yeah, again, slightly baffling. And I, I genuinely think Harrison Reed should be considered at least for an England call up. I don't even think he made the long list. Uh, I think was he, like was considered. Squad. he was I think considered. He was considered for the long list, yeah. but he didn't even make the long list, which is, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think he's a great player. And I, look, I'm happy if guys like this fly under the radar and just keep doing mm. their job. Mm. The Fulham fans know how important he is, the ginger, ginger and Iesta. Um, it's, it's one of those things. And, and I think every club has a player like this who just flies under the radar and gets the job done. And he's just loved by everyone at that club. And that's Harrison Reed. Um, you know, he he just works so hard. And we saw it with the the assist there for the goal. And the fact that he's added assists and goal scoring to his game this season just makes him an even better player. And I'm looking forward to seeing how he he evolves next season as we see some new signings come in as well. Yeah. Uh, one here from our friends uh, directly to the north of us here in WA, Fulham in Japan. Fulham underscore Japan on Twitter. I was going to say, it, well, it's in our region, but it's not not exactly close, but never mind. Directly um, yes. Yeah, okay. It's close to me. It's close to me. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was thinking like Geraldton, but anyway. Um, Harry Wilson has, f- has five direct goal contributions from the past seven games on fire form for us. Yeah, he's he's been terrific. You know, we've talked about this a lot, haven't we? And couldn't be happier for the guy. Mm. Another one where we go hat in hand after I think not more than a couple of months ago saying Harry Wilson is potentially should be out the door in the summer because he's not good enough. And yeah. again, Silver's sticking with players who he knows has the quality to do it and they're performing. And again, have to say we were wrong about Harry Wilson. Um he definitely is a seriously good championship player and he's starting to prove that he is a good enough Premier League player as well and actually better than good enough. He's been playing really, really well and contributing so much to the team recently. Hmm. 
Uh, one here from our good friend Cottage Analytica at Cottage Analytic on Twitter. Fulham's probability of different league positions after today's results based on Monte Carlo simulations. And um, it, the likelihood of seventh place is 0.05%. Eighth place is 1.24%. Ninth place is 41.25%. Tenth place is 57.3%, so therefore most likely. And 11th place um, in at 0.16%. Top 10 finish almost assured, full projected table summary below. And it shows a table of the top 12 here with um, likely finishing positions. You know what? I'm um, going to say I'm going to say it. I think we're safe. <laughs> Thanks, Sammy. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I believe this is done on 1,000 simulations, or it might be 10,000 simulations. Uh which basically see, as you can see, for those following along the live stream, they have Brentford finishing on average on 53.4 points and Fulham on average finishing on 53.2 points. So effectively saying here that it's it's kind of a toss-up between Fulham or Brentford for that ninth spot. It, it looks like Villa are probably going to coast away from us. Brighton are the same as well. Spurs, it looks like, are going to drop down that table. And it, are they... They're basing this on saying that Palace and Chelsea just aren't going to have enough in them to climb up the table enough. So, look, I think we can almost guarantee ourselves a top-half finish here, which is a great thing, and you would have taken that with everything that you've got at the start of the season. If someone said, would you like to finish 10th in the Premier League? Geez, I would have been saying, what planet are you from that you can possibly think we're going to finish 10th this season? It's a relegation battle all the way, but it hasn't been, and... um it's just crazy to look at this table and go, geez, we're going to finish in the top half of the Premier League, something that hasn't happened for Fulham for a very long time. And and, and if this um, plays out to be true, what a what a result for Roy Hodgson at Palace. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's already guided them to safety anyway, but, um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> the, the videos of Roy recently have been absolutely hilarious. I don't know if you've seen many of them, but... He's just, just a little bit too old to be standing on the sideline. I love him, but it does look like your grand, granddad just standing on the sideline and uh, waving. When he cheers, you're sort of worried he's going to pop a pop a hip out or something. But um, disappointing news, actually, as we're going and watching along live, Brentford are now 1-0 up against West Ham. So that uh... will see them jump slightly up the league. And uh, I think that guarantees them at this point... Uh, 53 points but as this uh, this simulation the Monte Carlo simulation does say it's got Brentford finishing on 53 points and we know that they've got a, f uh, a rough finish to the season I think they play is it Man City and Newcastle in the last two games yeah they got a really they got a pretty hectic run so it is very possible that these are the last points they pick up for the season so mm. um yeah, look, uh, I really enjoy Cottage Analytica. I have to be a big shout-out for him as well throughout the season. He's put out some really great statistics and done some really good analysis on Fulham's financials as well, which I highly recommend people have a look at. Um, and then a, uh, a tweet here from MJG at 1966MJG on Twitter. Whoops. It would be great if the club could announce a contract extension prior to Palace game for Silver, also for Boa and the coaching team as well. 
then we need to back him in, uh, sorry, back him so we don't stand still and just expect some of these players to perform at the same levels again. Yeah, um, there was there was um, some additional stuff in the press this week, wasn't there, about Silver's position? Yeah, Silver had jumped on TalkSport. Oh, sorry, not Silver. Tony Khan had jumped on TalkSport earlier this week. He was talking about uh, AEW who are coming across and uh, performing at Wembley, I believe. Yeah. But he was asked about the contract situation with Silver and Tony Khan went to say that he has a great working relationship with Silver. He fully believes that he's going to be signing a new contract um, and that he was basically going to be backing... Didn't come out and say that he'd be backing Silver in the summer, but said, uh, we, we'll do everything we can to support the manager and strengthen the squad and we don't want to lose any of our key players. So uh, it's it's a good message to hear, but I think we've been expecting that message for a long time. We actually want to see some action now, and that action mm. is sign a bloody contract, like lock in your manager. He's He's got a year mm. left on his contract, and there's some big sides out there who are looking for managers at the moment, and I, I don't know why we're not putting putting enough effort in. But at the same time, you know, Willian has said, I want to finish the season and work out what's going on next season before signing a new contract. He really wants to sign a new contract, but he's holding off until the right point. And I think there is a part to this where all the players and and coaches are so focused on the season and finishing the season properly that contract negotiations potentially can wait until the season's finished because you want to make sure that you don't get distracted by that because they, it will be distracting. Silver's going to be sitting down with the senior management saying, right, I need X amount of money next season and I want a new contract for X amount of years. Can you give that to me? And there's going to be negotiations on it. So it is going to be a stressful little period for for Silver. So maybe he's actually putting that off for next season. Mm, I, I see it a little differently. I think... Uh... I think Silver's playing tactically, playing a very clever game, um, and I think it's more about. I don't believe for a moment that Tony Khan or the Khans aren't trying to lock Silver down or haven't made efforts to completely lock him down. Yeah. And I think Silver's going. No, um, I want to see where we get to. I want to um, complete my mission. Because I think I'm gonna this this is going this is going how I expect it to go, and and I think the I think Silver's position is going to be I've got some options and I've got a clear plan and this is what I think we should be doing but it needs your money and I'll say I'll stay and I'll sign a contract but it's going to be subject to you also committing to spend the dollars that's how I think it's going to go. I think well, that's actually one hundred percent right. Uh, just yeah. purely because, as well, the cons have massively overcommitted with a whole bunch of different things. Now, the wrestling thing is one thing, but they're also they also own like the Jaguars. They've they've got a lot of fingers in a lot of pockets, and I think they actually got Silver initially to be like, "Hey, can you do a lot more stuff than we needed Scott Parker to do?" And he's going, <laughs> and he's literally going now. Okay, I did a lot more stuff, and this is working. Now I want some serious money and I want some serious assurances that I will have a lot of freedom and I can execute this so that we can actually make this a proper team. Well, as as Black, White and Fred on the live stream on YouTube, YouTube has said, I think Marco's waiting to find out what war chest he'll get prior to signing an extension. And yeah, I, I fully enough. agree with that. And I think 
a lot of that does come down to where you finish in the league, what the plan for next season is, you know, waiting to see the financials get released to see what position Fulham are in. There's going to be some accountants sitting in the background doing FFP calculations to work out exactly how much we're allowed to spend and trying to guesstimate how much we're going to make next season. So there's a lot to be considered. And I do understand that that could take some time. So I, I think there's definitely reasons for why it hasn't been finalised yet. But at the same time, I just want to see it finalised because it needs to be done. It's mm. it's such an important thing for the club to have your manager locked in for the long-term future because it tells a story. You know, we're going to go out into the transfer market and sign players and players aren't going to come to the club if they don't know who the manager is going to be next season. Like, oh, yeah, you know, totally. You're, you're I, not yeah. guaranteed that Silver, if he, he runs down his contract for 12 months, you sign under Silver and then he leaves after 12 months. Like, what, mm. what are you thinking at that point? Yeah. It's, it's, it's too hard well. to make that decision. Mm. I, th- I think, I think Silver's got his heart and mind in the right place. I'm not anxious about that, and I think he's playing it really well, and he's going to tee this up beautifully. He's going to finish, you know, top half of the table, 10th, let's say, and, you know, we'll be everyone will be very buoyed and very optimistic, and he'll go, excellent, love to stay. I'll sign a long contract. You know, give me $400 million over the next three years. Mm. Well, I mean, it actually it puts him in a great position because now he can go – yeah, I, I need this much money. They can actually have a conversation and go, this is what I want, this is how much I need, this is what I require for next season. Um, I mean, it, you put all your cards on the table there and it actually, as a Fulham fan, it works in our favour because I think we're going to see uh, more money made available than the Khans potentially would have put into the club at the end of a successful season. I think a lot of the time, if you're looking at it as a business we found ourselves back in the Premier League, you can probably take your foot off the gas a little bit and say, right, we, we just stay comfortable now. We don't need to make big money signings. We can just sit comfortably in mid-table and that'll be that. But actually what Silver has is the power to keep the club pushing on in the right direction. So it, it could be really interesting to see what comes out off the back of those contract negotiations. And we might not ever know the exact details, but... I wouldn't be surprised if we get an extra 20 or 30 million in the budget for players in the off season because of the fact that Silver has to sign a new contract. Yeah, no, I, I totally believe that this is all converging very beautifully and that Silver's success is it's the first time the Cards have had real success with their managers, sustained su- success. It's the first time it's actually started to work. They've got the money and they've got the ambition and I think the moment is absolutely right because I think they really do. Tony Khan really trusts Marco Silva. I really believe mm. that. Yeah. And I think it's the moment where there's going to be a serious cash injection. I really believe that. Mm. Yeah. And on to our last tweet, just to round out this podcast, a, a really good news story, and it's been retweeted here by the Fulham Lilies, uh, and it comes from the Fulham FC Women account on Twitter. Yeah, and the women are obviously enjoying some really great success. And huge congratulations to the under-18s, the women's under-18s, who've won their second trophy of the season, claiming the League Cup. Uh, And my Spanish isn't very good, but is that Campeones? Campeones. Campeones. Um, 
And yeah, that game was, I think it kicked off slightly before the Southampton game and finished at about half time in the Southampton game. But, you know, mm. really good to see the Fulham women's team doing so well. The the women's team and the under 18s have had really successful seasons. And, you know, we've been talking a little bit offline about trying to potentially cover a little bit more of the women's club because, especially being overseas fans who aren't able to get down to Motspur Park to watch games, there's not a huge amount of coverage of, of the women's team. And, you, you kind of have to dig around to get information about how they're going, their upcoming fixtures. To be perfectly honest, we only see when they play once Fulham start live tweeting about it on Twitter because it, it does sort of get lost in the mesh of all the other Fulham news floating around. So I just want to do a big shout-out to the Fulham women who who had such a great season across all of the women's teams. And uh, it's good to see Fulham women coming back up through the ranks again. We were obviously really proud of the fact that uh, we had the first professional women's player, we were FA Cup winning Fulham um, women's team and uh, I'd love to see the Fulham women get back to that level again and it seems like it's it's starting to build up again and we, we're getting a bit of momentum and I really hope that that pushes on into next season too. So, I think we can happily round out this game. Like I said, a scrappy Saints relegation party. Fulham... Another victory, 2-0, clean sheet for Bert Leno again, who's having a superb season. Hasn't been mentioned because he didn't really have to do much uh, yesterday. Yeah. Defense, to be honest. Um, but look, a, a, another really good game, and there's only two games left. A home game against Crystal Palace coming up uh, on the weekend, one that we'll preview later in the week. Uh, it's going to be a reunion with uh, Roy Hodgson, which is going to be a really uh, special moment, I think, for the fans at Craven Cottage. The first time he's come back to the cottage, since rejoining Crystal Palace. And look, it's a potential opportunity for us to pick up three points and move to that record points total, which was set by Roy Hodgson all those years ago. So it's it's a really important game for Fulham, and I really hope that we do put in another good performance and keep going on this run for this season, which has just been such a joy to cover as a podcast and just to watch along as a fan. So, Sammy, 15 minutes away from turning 30. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Ah, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's it's nice. It's been a serious ride, hasn't it? And uh, no, it's it, it's yeah. No, you echoing what you said before. With like, there's only two games left of like the season, but ah, oh, it's been it's been such a joy to actually be able to cover this in such a way with such enthusiasm and such engagement and. Um, yeah, I just, just I just feel very humbled to be a part of it because we started this literally just because we just wanted to talk more about um, the game in Fulham, and it's actually morphed into something really, really lovely. And it couldn't have happened at a better season. And yeah, it's just it's just been very nice. Lovely, Sammy. Thank and you, yeah, Steve. everyone following along as well. Make sure you do harass Sam with happy birthday messages. We'll be more than happy to pass them on. Um, oh, and Dad, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Yeah, no, really, really nice. Uh, it's, it's it's all coming together nicely, isn't it? And I, I I can't help feel very very excited. I know I know we've got another game next week, and we need to focus on uh, getting some points because there, you know, it's an important opportunity to get points against Palace, um, last home game, and all that. But it does feel like a really tasty build up. For that Man United game, is it's all coming together. Oh, Mitro is going to be firing salivating. fit, and it's mm. and it's. I'm looking really looking forward to that. 
But yeah, to to join in uh, on on your comments, I'm not sure why we're rounding the season out so early, but um, <laughs> it, it's uh, yeah, this is so enjoyable. I, I thoroughly enjoy it. I get I get to spend some time with my boys, and to get to talk about football and to to, to celebrate our differences and uh, and hear all our, our our weird our our weird points of view, and uh, it, it's just so lovely that uh, people are enjoying what we're doing and chiming in and following along and supporting us. Uh, yeah, very, very, very enjoyable. So uh, thanks. Thanks, everyone. And long may your, uh, long may we feel your love. Couldn't have put it better myself. Uh, Sammy, we'll try and reach out to Tifo, get them to send you a happy birthday package. Oh, really I love it. it. The I would done for them. actually love it. I would love that intensely. I'm not sure how that would even go about, but I would. Uh, that would be fantastic. Anybody who wants to reach <laughs> out to them, anybody who wants to reach out to them, they're my boys. Just slowly, they're not your boys under the table. Not your boys. <laughs> anyway, guys, thank you so much again for joining me tonight, and uh, looking forward to touching base later in the week to talk about the Palace game coming up. But until then, as always. Come on, you watch.